Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. Of course, you know it, you love it. It is Victory Lane. Today, episode 44, the Kyle Petty edition. You might be saying to yourself, wow, I probably know a more well-known number 44 in NASCAR. Or maybe you're not. I don't know. But when I think of the number 44, I think of Kyle Petty's Hot Wheels scheme. Not the Felix Sabatis number 42 mellow yellow. That's what I think of. I think of the Hot Wheels scheme, the number 44. I think of Wells Fargo 45. And I think of uh, Sprint 45. That's what I think of when I think of Kyle Petty. And I guess now that I'm talking about it out loud, maybe also Dale Jarrett towards the tail end of his career when he was with Michael Waltrip Racing in the UPS car when he was number 44. But this is the Kyle Petty edition of Victory Lane. And as you can see, after a couple episodes to start off 2020 in the new decade of no interview guests, we have one today. And it might be a name that you're a a bit unfamiliar with unless you live and you're entrenched in West Coast racing, but it's Ken Clapp. He is the CEO of the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame. And if you guys remember last year at Gateway, that was the race name that I made fun of because, like I said then, I'm going to remember the race name for the rest of my life. Let's see if I can get it. It is the Monaco Cocktails Gateway Classic 125 presented by the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. Boom. Never going to forget it. With the K&N Pro Series East and West Combination Race. Boom. It's it's never going to leave my memory. But we got Ken Clapp on the show today. That episode actually was recorded last year at the penultimate race of the 2019 season at what was then known as ISM Raceway, but it was at Phoenix. So that's just a little behind the curtain for you guys. And I want to apologize because we recorded it kind of last second. So I, we did it on my phone. So the audio quality is not the best, but it's not the worst by any means. And you can definitely still catch what I'm saying and what Ken's saying. But it, it was a really compelling conversation. And it was it was 99% Ken talking and, and 1% me talking because I just kind of sat back and listened to him tell stories. And he has one of those voices that kind of lulls you into a relaxing mood. And he's 80 years old, but... Man, he has done a lot in his day, so that was fun. Also, where are we going to race this weekend? Phoenix. That's where we recorded the interview. So this show, we will preview that race, hear from Ken, and also recap Auto Club Speedway this past weekend. Plus, we got some juicy, juicy news that came out this week. NASCAR's dropping some bombs on us in the news department. So, uh, Pete Haley, if you're listening to this, shout out to Redskins Talk. Subscribe on iTunes. Victory Lane's coming for Redskins talk in the in the sports charts. I'm telling you people. But Pete Haley, this is for you. <laughs> Maybe one day you'll join me, Pete. Who knows? Auto Club Speedway recap. Bowman the Showman shows out in another good one. I'm, I'm telling you, and I said in my highlight hump day here at NBC Sports Washington, it might sound like I'm drinking the NASCAR Kool-Aid, but this is another really, really good race. And I said, see for yourself, and we proceeded to Show you a bunch of highlights of all the action that happened. It was really, really damn good. But we'll start from the beginning before the race started. 
And, of course, Southern California's own Jimmy Johnson was honored pre-race. He had a mural that was built for him outside of the track. His family waved the green flag. Chandra, his wife, waved it. And his children, Genevieve and Lydia, were also on the flag stand with them. That's so badass. Uh, He led the five-wide salute. That's just so, so cool. And to boot, he ran well, too, which we'll get to later. But that is a big deal, I think, because it's one thing for all these uh, tracks and teams to be honoring Jimmy Johnson and saying, wow, the GOAT, seven-time champion, his final full-time season. Let's honor him. And then he'll finish 22nd like he did last year. But no, he's running inside the top five. He is leading laps. He is a threat to win the race. And he's been that way for the last couple weeks. And I get it. It's only two races that we're kind of basing this sample size off of. But what we'll get to right now, his teammate and the rest of his teammates and the rest of his manufacturer teammates, they have taken a step up in their game this season, which means Jimmy Johnson has and will continue to do the same. The showman gets her done. He said pre-race, if he didn't screw up behind the wheel, he'd win this race because Greg Ives and the number 88 team of Hendrick Motorsports brought him an absolute rocket ship. Spoiler alert, he didn't screw it up. Victory lane for Mr. Bowman for the second time in his Cup Series career. I don't know that we've changed anything since we unloaded off the truck, so uh, that really comes down to a lot of great preparation in the shop. Greg making really good decisions with our package that we brought here. Uh, this year, this is a place we've struggled at for the last two years. So um, for him to be able to unload that close, really the last two weeks in a row, um, makes my job much easier. We can really fine-tune the car throughout practice instead of have to make huge changes. Um, it's it's really been our probably best couple practices of the last two years that I've uh, been driving for HMS. And um, I just attribute that to the hard work in the, in the shop and um, and great great work over the off-season. But Today was good for us. I feel like if I got bad restarts, I was really I would burn my stuff up getting back to the 12. Um, so I was glad to get clear of him there that last restart and um, just be able to uh, to run hard and, and build that gap. Felt like we fell off a little bit at the end of runs, but uh, had a really good car. And by the way, he does this in a contract year, no less. I mean, we've talked about that kind of at length on previous episodes, but the free agent crop after 2020 is rich. You got somebody that's going to fill the 48 car. Alex Bowman's contract is up. Ryan Blaney's contract is up. Brad Keselowski's contract is up. Corey LaJoy's contract is up. Kyle Larson's contract is up. They are going to be a lot of moving parts and new faces in new places when we start 2021 and the next-gen era of NASCAR. I teased it when we were mentioning Jimmy Johnson, but the Chevrolets ran much better this weekend than they did one year ago. And when we were in Las Vegas, and I was a a bit skeptical post-race, kind of saying, okay, you know, maybe this is a one-off. Jimmy Johnson's feeling good, and they had a couple good finishes. They ran well all day. Chase Elliott was a class of the field. I want to see them kind of have some sustained excellence running up at the front of the field. Well, they answered the bell on Sunday at Auto Club Speedway because they ran really Really well. Bowman led a race high 110 laps. Jimmy Johnson was leading a couple laps up there. Chase Elliott was fast. You had Tyler Reddick, who finished in 11th place, but he was running inside the top five, given a little bit of RCR resurgence. Say that five times fast. The point is, Chevrolet is fast, and this is not a fluke. They are here to stay. They are here to compete, and they are not going to go away. Um, Denny Hamlin, I think, or maybe it was Kyle Busch, basically said, Chevrolet got lucky because they got to debut a new car in the year that it's basically a lame duck year for everybody. But 
this is a real thing now. Chevrolet is not going away in 2020. They are here to stay. They are here to compete. They are going to win races and maybe, just maybe, for the first time since the implementation of the new modern-day championship format that was implemented in 2014, maybe they'll finally get a car in the championship four. That's a tough one. I feel like Phoenix is going to be a, a good judge of that. I feel like our mile-and-a-half program was very strong last year. Um, so at the end of the year, I feel like if we would have come here, we would have been strong anyway. Uh, I think the new body has helped us a lot. The new Camaro, any change we make, we make for a reason. And Chevrolet did a great job with that car. Um, so I think on the intermediate stuff, it, it's really showing up. Phoenix, I think we finished like 25th there in the fall last year. We were absolutely horrendous. So um, hopefully we can go there and run run a ton better. But um, it's just it's hard to say this early in the year. But I think the new car is quite a bit better. Um, I think Greg has has done a really good job this year too. I mean, we've like I said earlier, we've never unloaded so close two weeks in a row. We've never unloaded that close. Period. And to do it two weeks in a row has been really cool. So um, he's making my job easy uh, right now for sure. Not easy, but easier, and uh, it's definitely paying off. Also, Mr. Bowman gave us some shades of Austin Dillon post race because on the front stretch he basically said. Uh, yeah, I, I told my friend Aaron that if we win, we were going to get tattoos, so I think I have to get a tattoo now. <laughs> so he kind of clarified in the media center, what's the deal with that? You going to get a tattoo or what? Oh, man. Uh, so one of my good buddies, Aaron Gillespie, uh, he's a drummer in Under Oath, drummer in backup vocals. He's in Paramore for a little while. It's kind of a big deal if you're into that scene. Um, he, uh, We've made a bet at Daytona. They were... Pretty much everybody from Under Oath was at Daytona. We made a bet that if I won, uh, we were getting 88 tattoos. And then it just never stopped. Uh, we've been talking about it for the last two weeks. Um, apparently, I have to get a neck tattoo, which I'm not real sure that that's really going to happen or not. Um, but, yeah, we're uh, next time we're all together, I guess we're all going to get tattoos. Rounding out the top five, you had Kyle and Kurt Busch in second and third, respectively, then Chase Elliott and Brad Keselowski. Denny Hamlin, 6th, Jimmy Johnson, 7th, Eric Amarola, 8th, Kevin Harvick, 9th, uh, and Eric Jones finished in 10th place. Tyler Reddick came home 11th. He had another solid day, as I mentioned. Ryan Blaney was running 2nd with about 3 laps to go, but he was forced to pit road with the, the tire cording issue on the right rear, I believe. So that's 3 races that Blaney has the chance to win, and 2 of which, uh, 1 because of a pit call and 1 because of a trip to pit road, those races go downhill in a hurry for him. But he's been the fastest car overall this season, I would basically say, just on raw speed. And also Martin Truex Jr. Started in the rear, worked his way up, got within the lead. I think he may have led a lap or two. But he was mad at everybody. I'm really curious to see what the drivers at JGR have to say this weekend in Phoenix about the meeting, the team meeting that was had at Joe Gibbs Racing on Monday because he literally said, F the 20 and F the 11, they can both kiss my ass. And Clayton Hughes, <laughs> Who's his spotter? One of my favorites. He goes, 10-4 on the kiss, bud. <laughs> he's one of my favorites. But I'm, Martin was literally mad at everybody. And Eric said after the race, he's like, yeah, he passed me and he put his hand out the window. I don't know what he was mad about. So apparently the only person that he wasn't mad at was Kyle Busch. And Kyle Busch said afterwards that there's basically no respect out there. And I guess Truex was, was mad about that as well. So that kind of wraps up things on the cup race side of things. Let's briefly touch on the Xfinity race. Solid event. I wasn't able to watch all of it because I was going to College Park in the Xfinity Center to see my Spartans beat down on the Terps. Holla! I digress. But Harrison Burton wins the Xfinity race. This is his first victory, believe it or not, 
in the NASCAR National Series. That's Truck Xfinity and Cup, of course, for you new listeners. So he ran really well in what is now known as ARCA East, and he, he's run well in ARCA before, got a win last year at Daytona, but he did not qualify for the playoffs last year in a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck, and that kind of set people off the wrong way, basically saying, man, I, I don't know if he or Todd Gillen really has the goods. But, I mean, he's got the goods under him with the equipment. He's got the goods under him with the personnel at Joe Gibbs Racing. And he proved once again that once everything is in place for him, he can deliver the goods behind the wheel. Harrison Burton is a winner in the Xfinity Series. It feels awesome to win. It's, you know, we had a lot, I had a rough year last year in trucks. And um, I got told all offseason that I couldn't do it. And my team got told that we could never do it. And uh, that feels really good to go out and win. That's, that's kind of what was motivating to me all off season to work hard and get better and motivating my team to work hard and get better. Um, we have anything we need. The resources at Joe Gibbs racing are incredible. And, uh, you know, I think they do a better job preparing us as drivers than any other race team. So that means a lot, especially when you have limited practice and you got to come out and execute. So really cool to get it done. And, uh, I knew we had a fast car going in today. Just didn't need to screw it up. Also, I just need to mention the Kim cam. Here's the thing. I got nothing against Kim Burton. I am mad at the television networks, and yes, I work for one. I'm mad at them for showing her way too freaking much. When NBC takes over the schedule, I pray to God. I pray to Jesus. Whatever you believe in, please say a prayer with me. Do not have Kim Burton in a split-screen box when Harrison is racing. And if you're going to do it, you can do it once or twice a race for like 5 to 10 seconds. And that's it. I get this is the first time that he won. So you had to show her. And that's what she does. That's her MO. And I'm, this is nothing against her. Like, she can do what she wants. That's cool. But just so you know, people, John Hunter Nemechek's grandma pretty much does the same thing. But nobody really shows her because she's John Hunter Nemechek's grandma. And she's not Kim Burton, Harrison Burton's mom and Jeff Burton's wife. But I've met Kim. She's great. I think her reactions are also great. But you can have too much of a good thing sometimes. That's what we're having with the Kim Cam. So please, enough with the Kim Cam. Just tone it down a little bit, please. I missed saying this the past couple weeks. Interview time! Ken Clapp of the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame. This guy is just one of the coolest cats I've got the opportunity to meet in my travels and my experiences covering what's now Arca East and West. He just kind of, I mean, if you've met him and if you've seen him, you know who he is. You kind of know what I mean. He just exudes old school swag. Maybe you'll meet, run into a rapper or, or an NBA player or, or an athlete or something, and you're just like, damn, that guy has, or that, that girl has swag. Ken Clapp has old school swag, and you can see it dripping all over him. He's, he's been really great to me. He's been great to the sport. I really enjoyed chatting with him. Um, and before we get to him, I want to say the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame, they announced their 2020 class of inductees. They are. Rick Mears, he headlines the class. We know him, four-time Indianapolis 500 champ. He was obviously a lock in any Hall of Fame that he wants to go in. Mike Bliss, we remember him from his days in NASCAR, right? He's also a USAC Silver Crown and Truck Series champion. Craig Kino, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, he is a team owner from Las Vegas, and he was a track sponsor. You guys remember Star Nursery? They sponsored the ARCA race at the Bullring, and they sponsored Kurt Busch last year at Las Vegas. That's the company that Mr. Kino owns, Star Nursery. Jim Pettit II, the 1984 NASCAR Pacific Coast Region Champion. So congratulations to Mr. Pettit. 
Jerry Pitts, we know him from Arkham Menard Series West competition. He's a championship crew chief and team owner, obviously working with Jeff Jefferson hand-in-hand for pretty much their entire careers until they split up last year, but there was an amicable split. And Tom Sneva, who won the Indy 500 in 1982, and he was uh, dubbed a ferocious pavement supermodified champion. So congratulations to Rick Mears, Mike Bliss, Craig Kino, Jim Pettit II, Jerry Pitts, and Tom Sneva for their induction into the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame. But the man who helped start it all is Ken Clapp. Here he is in our wide-ranging, lulling, very intriguing, somewhat old-school, but fun and interesting conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it. So I wanted to catch up with you because I've been wanting to do it for a while. You have such an interesting backstory in racing to begin with. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame and kind of the health of West Coast racing, can you kind of just tell me a little bit about your background in racing and NASCAR specifically? I uh, got got hooked on the sport uh, really, really in 1951, October 7th, 1951. Uh, after church, my mom and dad took me to an event uh, in Stockton, California, that we'd look upon today as a, a monster cup race. It was on a dirt track in Stockton. Uh, little did I know that someday I'd own the racetrack in Stockton, but uh, I was hooked. The very next week, NASCAR had its first race ever, all time, October 14, 1951, on the long forgotten by some Oakland Speedway. And uh, then the next week, we went to an Indianapolis car race in San Jose, California, which Tony Bentonhausen won, and I ended up owning that track years later. But, <laughs> but I had no idea. Yeah, I only throw that in because it's kind of interesting looking back. Yeah. I was in the seventh grade and kind of got my dad interested. And we we went to a lot of races. I kept my mouth shut, observed, loved the history, fanatical about the history. Don't know why, just clicked. It just worked for me. Because I'd been a baseball guy, but I knew I wasn't good enough to be able to go beyond high school level playing. And... So anyway, uh, I kind of put baseball aside. And in uh, 1955, just on a chance, I went to a, a, a stationery store and I bought two blank ID cards. And I took them to school and I bought two because I knew I'd probably wreck the first one. I did. <laughs> and I figured out how old I'd have to be to be 23 years old when I would have had to have been born and all that. And I sent that with, I think, a $10 bill into Daytona. And I figured I'd never see the money or the app again. Uh, But lo and behold, about three weeks later, I got a license, a mechanic's license in the mail. In 1955, I, just out of friendship, I got on a pit crew for a guy named Kaz Kinsella, who's in the West Coast Hall of Fame. And we won the championship with Danny Lentner as the driver for the Grand National, the Pacific Coast Grand National. Uh, it was highly competitive in those days, and there's a lot of famous guys that ran in it. It went on to even bigger and better things, and uh, that was the beginning. And 
know, I got out of high school and went to college for a while, went in the Navy, got out, got back involved again as a crew chief and then a car owner in 1965. I was very observant of how races were being promoted and more what wasn't being done that perhaps could be done that would enhance the efforts. Not that anybody was doing a bad job, but I thought, well, you, you know, you could do this, you could do this, and uh, it would make it better. So I decided I was going to promote a race, and I did at Vallejo, California. I had no idea what the success level would be. Didn't do it for the money, and my goodness, it was terribly successful. I promoted it like it was the Daytona 500. And it, the race was a disaster. It was <laughs> dusty and hot. And, but we had a huge crowd, over-promoted it. So anyway, I did it again, and then I did it again, and then I, I took a terrible financial hit at the end of the 1966 season. And that's really when I decided, are you going to do this or aren't you? And I decided I was. I covered my losses. I developed a friendship which had been developing for years with the man and woman who had, with Bill France Sr., tied the East to the West. And that was a result of Bill France Jr. being stationed in California in 1950 and 51 in the Navy. <clears throat> so we worked together. We had a good relationship, we being the people that had pioneered NASCAR out west in the early 50s. So now we're 15 year, 14, 15 years later. They kind of set their uh, vision on what were they going to do when they retired. And they were both getting up in their years. And, and both of them were pretty iconic uh, they, along with J.C. Agajanian, pretty much called the shots west of the Rocky Mountains, up and down the whole coast. And uh, eventually, uh, I was involved in building Sonoma Raceway. I worked there, then I was the marketing manager at Auto Week for several years. I spent a short period of time in the car business. Uh, 1977, I was given the opportunity to go to work for NASCAR and the people that had pioneered NASCAR. So I was working for Daytona and the California Connection, which is a company that still exists. And then it was known as BBA Inc. Incorporated. Now it's CARS, C-A-R-S, uh, and I still own it. I already had a relationship with Bill France Sr. And, and his wife, Annie B., and Bill and Betty Jane France. Uh, developed a close relationship with Les Richter. We were business partners and things away from racing, in fact. And uh, You know, I think it's like anything. When I mean, you've been doing something for years and years, you, you kind of get tired. And uh, I think the man and woman, Margot Burke and Bob Barkheimer, Margot and Barky, as they were fondly known, decided it was time to 
probably slow down a little bit. They sold me controlling interest to the corporation. We consummated that on December 31st, 1977. But I'd worked for them and, and NASCAR out of Daytona for one year at that time. And uh, as was expected, I uh, hit the road running and went after new sanctions for weekly programs, tried to grow the old West Coast, by then it was known as Winston West, and was able to do that quite satisfactorily and developed a very close relationship with Bill France Jr. as the years went by. And uh, it, it, uh, one thing led to another. We just got bigger and better and better and bigger and smarter. And <laughs> every day you learned, uh, if you thought you knew it all, you didn't know anything because you still had something to learn. Right. And was put in charge of NASCAR Australia. And uh, then Paul Brooks and I headed up NASCAR Japan. And uh, 1999, I retired, and uh, I remember the day really well. Bill said, well, I'm about ready to take a look at doing that, too. He said, all these young guys are coming in, and they know more than we do, they think. And uh, so anyway, he said, we'll just leave your, your deal like it is, and uh, everything stays the same. You just won't take any tax out of your check. You'll be a consultant. <laughs> so I became a senior consultant. And, and here we are in November of 2019, 20 years later. Yeah. And that contract will expire in three weeks. Really? And Yeah, it, that's a fact. And uh, Mike Helton and I had a meeting this morning and talked about what's expected of me and what, what's not. And what do I want to do? And what would they like to see me doing in the future? So I'm, I'm, I'll never retire. Let's put it that way. I have no plans to ever retire. You'll always be doing something. I'll always be involved in motorsports as long as I'm mentally capable. There's a lot to unpack there, and it's it's so interesting hearing your story. So I guess we can start with the first kind of aspect that you touched on. Once you went to the racetrack, you were hooked. And then you ended up growing up a little bit, and you were able to purchase some of those racetracks. What do you remember from those days, and, and why did you go that route? Well, the, the purchasing of the racetracks actually occurred when I acquired controlling interest of BBA, which now is cars, because they had uh, under their wing at one time 22 speedways in western states. And then they narrowed it down to 10 prime facilities, which included San Jose, Stockton, Fresno, like it goes on and on. But, but we also sanctioned through the NASCAR sanction, oh my goodness, 22, 23 tracks, Oregon, Washington, California, Arizona, Nevada. We, we didn't necessarily have a vision. It was just... Racing's a funny business. It's a, it's a democratic dictatorship, or it fails. You can't have a... Uh, this is my opinion, but at the end of the day, somebody's got to make the decision. You can't have a big committee making decisions. Some of those decisions are self-serving. Some of them are from greed. 
uh, you name it. And Bob Barkheimer and Margot Burke understood that control was better for the sport. I questioned that as a young man myself, but it didn't take me long to figure out how right they were. I went out of my way to be friendly with other promoters, gain their respect even though I was younger. That was a disadvantage, but I was able to, to accomplish that. Several people were very, very helpful to me that could have killed me in the business. Uh, way, way up on that list would be J.C. Agajanian. He liked me. He believed in me. He helped me. Uh, today, his son Carrie and I are pallbearer material for each other. I don't know who will win that race, but anyway, seriously, we're, we're, our families are very, very good friends, not just around the racetrack, but socially as well. And <clears throat> I... I didn't try to follow or copy what Bob Barkheimer, Margot Burke, Bill Frank Sr. Jr. did, or Aggie for that matter, but what they did was pretty right. I just tried to take what they'd done and add my touch to it, which was hard work and pay your bills. I don't care how bad a whipping you take, pay your bills before you eat. And it worked. And, you, and by doing so, you gain a lot of respect. And in this business, respect is very important. Absolutely. And I use as a, a great example of what's just happened this last week with Roger Penske at the Speedway. And <coughs> not very many people could do what he just did and make it work. He, I'd bet everything I've got he'll make it work better than it's ever worked. Oh, yeah. I would agree with you there. And it seems like from the stories that you've, you've told people my age, right, the, the 20 to 25, even the 30 range, they might not know who you are, but they know what you've done. I never thought too much about that. You know, people, I mean, I'm 80 years old now. People, people say to me, you know everybody. And I, I never think about that. But I guess I do know a lot of people. But I, I just had lunch today with a old newspaper guy that worked for us at NASCAR for about 15 years, Kevin Green, and we just talked about our pets and our grandkids, and you know, we didn't talk about racing. It didn't, it didn't even come up. Yeah. And, and that's the way I like it. I'm not saying we don't want to talk about racing sometimes, too, because we do, but, but I like those kind of relationships, and I have a countless number of them all over the country. Yeah. So, one thing has led to another over the years, and I, 20 years ago, <clears throat> I got a phone call one day from a guy, and he wanted to do a West Coast reunion at a 4th of July show at Irwindale Speedway in Southern California, and, and I said, I'll help you any way I can, but I don't quite know how I, how I can help you. He said, well, I need contacts, and so I... Oh, well, it'll be fun. You know, it's going to no alcohol or anything. It's going to be an afternoon, uh, $10 a head, I think, lunch type of thing. Well, 200 people showed up. <clears throat> I saw people I hadn't seen in 30, 35 years. It really was fun. And the old stories being swapped and, you know, stuff like that. And, 
And uh, those were great years, you know, 35 years prior to 2001. And it was, uh, the sport was really, it was different then. It was yeah. a lot different. And so I, I went to him afterwards and, and I said, you've got the makings here of a West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's just what I said. He said, how do you do that? I said, well, you, you need some money. You can't do it with, without any money. He said, I don't have any money. I said, well, there's a couple of us who probably be willing to throw some money at it if you'd commit to doing it. So a couple of us did. And away we went with the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame. And What year was that? That was in 19, uh, pardon me, that was in 2000. Fourth of July weekend of 2001, <clears throat> and you'll notice I'm intentionally not mentioning names. So we went along for six years, and we grew and grew. He handled everything. I I was pretty much his financial go-to and we had a board of directors all business people that really believed in what was going on and we gained a lot of respect and we had a board of directors meeting in Las Vegas on a Saturday morning before an event down there in 2006 2006 that's right and several of the directors said did you bring bank statements and uh, accounting reports and things that we've asked for with you so oh, no I left my briefcase uh, in my other car at home two of the, he'd been asked repeatedly two of the directors I'm all done I resigned got up and walked out of the meeting uh, it left just he and I some, some others just got up and left. They didn't resign, but they just left. And I, I said to him, you, you have got to show everybody what our money transactions are, where it's coming from, where it goes, period. And, and you're not even telling me that it's my money. And he hummed around about it, and... I took it to Kerry Agajanian. He turned it over to one of his in-house attorneys, uh, who I knew, and we gathered information and we formally demanded all the tax reports and so on. And we had to shut the Hall of Fame down for a year and a half. And we reorganized, we re established with a 501c3 California issue. This guy's was in Utah and it wasn't completely legitimate. I had to go around to all the sponsors like Firestone, Goodyear, old friends, tell them the truth. Nobody abandoned ship. Everybody stayed with me. We came back and we had a Hall of Fame induction dinner. Uh, the night before a big race at Irwindale in 09. And I didn't know how it would go. And it went 
there's such a thing as 101, well, we hit a 101. People had forgiven, forgotten, never blamed me for it. And from that day forward, it's grown and grown and grown. This year, we have, up to this year, we have given just pocket change over $600,000 to charities. We're solvent. We have no unpaid bills. We've got enough capital to operate for several years. Uh, big companies, major companies, Fortune 500 companies, reach out to us. How do we become involved? We like what you're doing. We want to get involved. Y younger fellows that uh, like the history of the sport, I'd like to meet you. I've heard some crazy stories. And I'd like to hear some of them. Our company would like to get involved in support of the Hall of Fame. And it's happening, I'm not going to say every day, but it's a frequent occurrence. In the old days, I had to beg for 20 or $30. Now people are calling and saying, I'd like to send you 25000 I'd like to send you 30000 How do we do that? We're now a one-hour MAV TV special. Um, we don't know exactly what our viewership was, but our reviews were excellent. People liked what they saw. I personally, because I don't get MAV where I live, I haven't seen it, but I've, I'm told it was pretty good. You guys are in a good spot, that's for sure, and especially considering everything that's that's happened with it. It's great to hear that everything's going well, and specifically with the Hall of Fame, their involvement with the K&M Pro Series West that's now going to be rebranded to the Arkham Menards West. You guys have been there pretty much every step of the way, whether it's attaching your guys' name to sponsorship of races. You've been at a handful of races this year. You guys are definitely out there and very present. It's very important. Uh, I guess you know, acknowledging selfishness. Uh, I, I'm crazy about the Bernard Arca by NASCAR West program, but it's back to my heritage. But I've gone to the board members, and we've got a very impressive board of directors, and it's been a lot of guys that have really done a lot of good things in the sport, and we. You know, I asked him, I said, how do you feel about us sponsoring some races for exposure? You're running the show, Ken. You got to do what you got to do. If you think it's a good idea, let's do it. So we have sponsored some events. <coughs> Sorry, need some water? No, I talk too much. Um, and uh, we planned to have other involvements and uh, I can't say right now when or where because I don't know exactly but we're not going anywhere I've already kept it too long so no, this will be my last one no, no. it's been a pleasure talking with you I, I think listening to your story and hearing you talk would it be wrong to call you kind of the big Bill France of NASCAR west of the Mississippi would that be wrong because I feel like that's kind of what you are I can't answer that question <laughs> you know Call me, Ken. I don't care. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though? Because you, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that without you, NASCAR racing on the West Coast, where we are right now at ISM Raceway, 
maybe it would exist, but it would not be nearly what it is today. I, I don't think that that can be overstated. I don't know that I'm the right the person that should say yes or no to that, but that was what I set out. Not to not to be a Bill France. Don't misunderstand me. I got you. There's only one Bill France senior, but uh, yeah, I. Yeah, I had to make those commitments and have that vision to be able to get it to where we finally got it, and it's been in kind of a I'm sorry, kind of a, a wavering situation for a couple of years. But we did accomplish a lot of things. We brought NASCAR here to Phoenix. I had a meeting with Mike this morning, and I said, God, I almost got tears in my eyes driving in here this morning. He said, why? I said, it's been 42 years since the first NASCAR race here. And I said, I remember, you know, we, it was just hand to mouth. Richard Petty came over and ran it, and Bobby ran it. We got a few guys, you know, coming from Riverside. It was Thanksgiving weekend, and we'd been at Riverside the week before. And, you know, a lot of cars. I honestly don't remember what the crowd was like. And that led to bigger and better things, and we were here for a long time. And then finally, Les Richter and I went to work on trying to get a cup race in here once Buddy Job acquired it, and we were successful in doing that. And then when we knew Riverside, well, this all was simultaneous, when we knew Riverside was going to close in, was it 88, I guess it was? 87, 88. I'd been involved both in the building of, the operation of, the ups and the downs. And we had plenty of downs early on with Sonoma Raceway. But I knew for them to survive, they had to have a, a big, big drag race. And they had to have a big, big NASCAR race. And we had Indy cars there. And, and uh, pretty successfully. And then they went away for a number of years, and Sonoma struggled financially until they did get a big NHRA drag race and got a NASCAR Cup race. And, you know, I just made it, it was part of my must-happen agenda to get a Cup race at Sonoma. That was important. And was successful in doing so. And and I was on the board of directors of the National Hot Rod Association for about seven years. I am no longer on that board, but uh, I had been very friendly with Wally Parks, who I consider one of the greats of the greats in our sport. And, and uh, both facilities today are solvent and solid and famous and... Yeah, that all had to happen. It, it it had to happen. And Auto Club hasn't hurt matters any. Bruton and Marcus's acquisition of Vegas has certainly not hurt matters any. They're great to work with. It's it's you know what though, Davy. It's been a it's a team deal. You know, it's it's a team effort. There's there's been a lot of people that have rolled their sleeves up that have gone unnoticed and they didn't want to be noticed necessarily but it took a lot of players over the last well 50 years well I promoted my first race 53 years ago 
Uh, I mean, there's a countless number of friends and <laughs> a few enemies. <laughs> but, you know, it's all good. Always takes a team. And I want to close with asking you about your thoughts on NASCAR racing in 2019 and moving to 2020 in general, and specifically the K&N West series that we know it now going to be ARCA West next year. What are your thoughts on just the whole aspect of NASCAR today? Because it's, it's wildly different than what it was when you were in the game. Well, we're going to have to kind of re-indoctrinate the, the public to ARCA. Uh, the Menard part won't be difficult other than the fact that John Menard does not have stores on the West Coast yet. <clears throat> I think that's part of the master plan. I think the truth be told, Paul probably called for a early semi-retirement because his dad's not getting any younger and he feels like he probably needs to roll his sleeves up and get involved and you know, they're huge. They're they're a huge company. And I think the big picture for the long haul is really good. For the next year or so, I think it's going to take a little bit of a, a sales job with the public. Uh, the, the promoters on the West Coast that I've talked to all intend to call them uh, Menard Arca by NASCAR. They're not going to give up the name NASCAR. And to my knowledge, nobody's told them they have to. And, and I don't think they'll take races if they can't say that. And it's just words. But the word NASCAR is magic on the West Coast. And even though I thought Johnny Markham, and it was Ron Drager's father-in-law, and, and certainly Ron, they, they've done a good job. But it's been a, it's had geographical limitations. And now there aren't any. So I, I'm I'm good about it, you know. I, I certainly uh, don't have any intentions of walking away from it. Help it every way I can. I don't know what an old guy, 80 years old, can necessarily do, but we'll give it a shot. Well, it's been a thrill talking to you. I think I speak on behalf of everybody listening and, and NASCAR reading. Everybody to say that the sport is better for having you in it. So we thank you for that. Thank you. There you have it, party people. I told you, Mr. Claps, an interesting fella, isn't he? And I, I hope you, I hope I'm not waking you up from you falling asleep while listening to that. But he's just a really cool guy. I, I was, I was really grateful that I got the time uh, to speak with him last year at Phoenix. And when I was at Vegas at the Bull Ring a couple weeks back, I ran into him. He was looking good, 80, and can can hang with the best of them. He was just hanging out, chilling on a tire, catching some sun, and drinking some water, and. Again, he was just he was wearing his rings and he just exuded swag. So, Mr. Clapp, if you're listening, thank you so much for the time you gave me, for being so good to me always, and for your success in the past in the sport and continued success and good health to you, my friend, Mr. Clapp. Let's preview this weekend at Phoenix Raceway. It is not ISM Raceway. It is not Phoenix International Raceway. It is just Phoenix Raceway. This is the first race for the Cup Series in 2020 with the adjusted short track slash road course aerodynamic package. And I saw when teams were unloading and reloading their cars, and my boy Rajak Karuth, he tweeted it, Small spoiler! Yay! We got small spoiler back! Shout out to Dale Jr. because the big-ass spoiler is no more, at least for this weekend. But the cup is in action. Xfinity is in action. I, I hate that I just called it the cup. Because I hate when people are like, oh, is, is it the, the cup racing? No, it's the cup series. So sorry for that. 
Cup Series is in action. Xfinity Series is in action. Arkham Menard Series and Sioux Chiefs Showdown Race number one is in action. Saturday for the Xfinity. Friday for Arca. I called it the Xfinity. God damn it. Oh, sorry. Friday for Arca. Saturday for Xfinity. And Sunday for Cup. I will not be there this weekend, unfortunately. Hopefully I'll have some uh, news to report for you guys next weekend when uh, Arca Menard Series East goes to Pensacola in terms of uh, what I'll be doing for the rest of the year covering Arca events. Uh, not going to give anything away, but who knows, man? <laughs> I don't, so we'll see. Um, but it's going to be a great show. I'm excited to watch on Track Pass this weekend. Um, actually, just kidding. It's not going to be on Track Pass because it's not an East or West race. It's a regular ARCA race. So Fox Sports 1 will have your coverage over there for ARCA and Xfinity. And I believe the cup race will be on Fox. And I'll be tuned into the ARCA race to see if Michael Self can get it done at Phoenix, a track that he's had a lot of success at. Ty Gibbs won the race at Phoenix last year. Haley Deegan ran really well in her Arca West race last year at Phoenix. Let's see if she can kind of transfer that over to the Arca Menard Series car. The Xfinity Series as well. I'm looking at Justin Allgaier. He's had a lot of success at Phoenix in the past. Obviously won last year in the penultimate race to kind of vault himself into the championship four at Homestead with the big three. And the cup race, I'm seeing if Kyle Busch and Joe Gibbs Racing in general can kind of get back on track because in the first We'll call it two races of the year because Daytona is an anomaly in and of itself, and we kind of know that. They have not been the Joe Gibbs Racing in Toyota that we've been accustomed to. I think we're, I'm safe in saying that. Hendrick Motorsports and Chevrolet overall, but Hendrick carries the banner. They have been wicked fast. And I'm telling you, if, if Bowman, Byron, Jimmy, and Chase, if they come out to Phoenix, they're fast in practice, if they run up front for the race, and if they score stage points... We're going to hit a point where we're going to say, is Hendrick the best team in NASCAR right now? I, I Right now, it's not JGR. I don't think it's Hendrick. I think you'd probably say Penske. And SHR is kind of like chilling back there, like close, but not close enough. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just saying, if if one of those Hendrick cars happens to win at Phoenix and they put three, maybe all four of their cars in the top 10 and they run inside of there all day long, it's time we have a real conversation, folks. Let's have a dialogue if Hendrick is going to be the best team this year. So we'll see. Be sure to tune in on the Fox Family Networks this weekend. Looking forward to a fun, full, action-packed weekend in the desert. Look, that's of the week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Big nuggets of news this week. NASCAR confirmed they will be going to a single lug nut for 2021 and the next-gen car, uh, that obviously made its waves in the offseason as a rumor. Some people liked it, some people didn't, but now the news is official. Some people still like it, some people still don't. Personally, I'm a bit indifferent on it, but I was kind of looking around in the parking lot whenever I've been parking my car, and I literally saw like every streetcar had five lug nuts. So I was kind of saying, okay, well, wh why are they trying to make the cars look more like stock cars and go back to what they have on the street when... No one really has a one one lug system, but I digress. That's not really a big deal. What was a big deal was William Byron, who tested the next-gen car at Fontana, but he also subsequently had a, a little bit of an incident, but nothing that could not be fixed, and they gathered their, their data up until that point. They got the test done. I believe he said that he spun out and brushed the inside wall on the first day. Maybe it was on lap 7 of a 25-lap run. Uh, the quotes and the information is on the NASCAR.com story from my boy Chase Wilhelm, so... Be sure to check that out. Big news that dropped this morning. Tony Stewart 
He's going to run the Xfinity race on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course on July 4th for Stuart Haas Racing. That is lit. I think his quote that he said was pretty cool, too. He said uh, something along the lines of, I like to be home for July 4th, and I'm going to be home again. Oh, chills. Back home again in Indiana. Anyways, big, big news as well. We got a new Speed Week schedule that has been revealed. Instead of over two weeks, it's going to be in six days. We are condensing the you-know-what out of Speed Weeks. Here's the rundown. Tuesday, the Bush Clash. Not going to be on the big track. Not going to be during the day. It's going to be under the lights on the Daytona Road Course. Can I get a whole yeah? Yes! I'm so excited for that. Some purists are saying, ah, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Who cares? It couldn't be more of a you-know-what show than it already was this year. So why not do something? This is creating interest. I like this. It's going to be fun. So that's Tuesday. Wednesday is Daytona 500 pole qualifying per usual. Thursday, you'll have the blue-green vacation duels to set the field for the Daytona 500. Friday, per usual, stays the exact same. You will have the Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series race. Saturday, a little bit of a change. You'll still have the Xfinity race, but instead of having the Arkham Menard Series race the Saturday before... You're going to have it after the Xfinity race, I believe. So you're going to have an Xfinity Arca doubleheader on Saturday. That's a bigger stage for Arca. Leading into Sunday on Valentine's Day, the Daytona 500 on Valentine's Day should be fun. I can't wait for Speed Weeks already. Oh, man, can't come soon enough. But we got 2020 to head to first, and we got Phoenix to head to this weekend. That will wrap things up for Episode 44, the Kyle Petty edition of Victory Lane 2.0. Here's my speech. I know it sounds trivial. Please do me a favor. Rate this podcast. Review it. Subscribe. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcast, we are hopefully there. I know that this may not be the preeminent NASCAR podcast in the space, but I hope that I can give you something that you don't get anywhere else, and that's authentic, unfiltered commentary by somebody who presents the information differently, me, and has a unique interviewing style, which is let Ken Clap talk for as long as he freaking wants because he's a legend. I will see you guys next week. We have another guest in the can. I've mentioned him. That gives it away who it is probably before. He's one of my boys. Maybe we'll run him next week. Maybe we'll save him. Who knows? But I will talk to you guys next week for sure as we'll recap Phoenix and preview Atlanta. Be good, everybody.